0: Most of us do not look forward to being involved in feuds or fights, but they do seem to happen. Can we learn how to avoid them, or at least diffuse them if they've developed? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks, growth-oriented, partial related Torah podcasts. We'll be reading the parsha of Korach this coming Shabbos. Well, those of you in Israel, actually, you're familiar with the Parsha's Korach from last week. But... We'll be uh, we'll be there this Shabbos, and again a few weeks till we're all caught up and on the same page. But Korach, whether you read it last week or this coming week, is the prime example of the challenge against the authority and of generating machlokus, of generating division within the community, of splitting the camp, and so much so that when the Torah tells us, below sihiyek Korach chadaso." The being no longer like Korach and his cohorts. According to some of our codifiers, that is the Torah mitzvah against being involved in a feud or a fight. Now, there are times that the fight is legitimate. There are times that the fight is actually necessary. There are times that it is by Torah standard mandated. But those are few and far between. And most of the time that we've decided on our own that, oh, this is the type of fight the Torah wants me to stand up for and make a big deal over here, and I should be making the tumult. If we're not willing to turn to an objective outsider, a Torah sage of note, to try to get their determination if what we're feeling is correct, good chance it isn't. So we'll table that part of the discussion for now of the, of the kosher fights Recognizing that they're pretty uncommon. And talk about the non-Kosher fights. The issues that really the Torah is not demanding of me to make a big, big deal about whatever it is that I am getting all riled up about. Can we learn any techniques, any messages to help us avoid those fights or defuse them if they've started? And I would suggest that there's something we can learn from the very name Korach commentaries point to the fact that the three letters of Korach's name are the three letters of the Hebrew words for kerach and kerach, for ice and bald. Now, no comments about what might or might not be happening under my or why it's gotten bigger over the years, but when we talk about bald in a negative sense, we're not talking about the just reality that over time hair disappears. We're talking about a Torah prohibition against causing a bald spot related to death. The Torah teaches to not rip out the hair related to death. The common denominator between a bald spot and ice, by the way, is that both reflect a place which is going to not have vitality, not have growth. Things don't sprout out of the ice, typically. And hair is not growing on that bald spot, at least not in the moment. And the Torah is telling us, don't create a reality that is that void, that is that dead space due to death. Now, what might have motivated somebody to rip out hair due to death? They've lost a loved one and they rip out some hair. Well, if one views life as simply the sum total of the experiences from birth to death of that physical body and then it's over, then when death, there is major, major, major irreversible loss. There's no future. It's all over. The personality has disappeared. There is no vitality that's displayed with ripping out the hair. The equivalent of that same word of the ice Just cold, dead. But, Torah approach is that the body-soul combo is the very temporary existence of life in this world. And the smaller part of that combo is the body. But the soul is what lives on. The neshama is what lives on. And as such, of course, we are frustrated and and we're very pained over death, because we can no longer maintain our relationship with that body-soul combo, and we cannot communicate as we used to, we cannot share physical experiences, we cannot share the the joys that occur in this lifetime with each other, but that's, again, only on the body side of the equation. When the neshama lives on, and there's certainly future vitality, the neshama lives on forever, and we can assist the neshama in its growth. We can assist the neshama in furthering its relationship with God, with Hashem. And each act of good that we do, certainly each act that in any way that has ceased triggered within us, assists them in their further growth. Not the time now for a major talk on the issue of life and death, but the concept over here that the Torah is preaching to us, don't create bald space. Don't create the dead zone related to death, because death is not the absolute cessation of existence. And it's certainly not something to be grieved to the degree that you're tormenting your own body because of the fact that uh, it's all over for the deceased. We're pained if the deceased, as some commentaries put it, if the deceased were traveling on a major multi-year journey during which we'd have no means of communication, something for us to imagine today, but not for our great-grandparents, and we have no means of communication, no letters even, no means of sharing any news for the next multi-years, of course we'd be grieved. But if we know that they're going there for some ultimate great good, then okay, I'm personally grieved that I'm going to miss them, But I'm happy for them that they have the opportunity. With this message in mind, that the Torah is preaching to us, recognize that the deceased still has their future, that trains us to be neshama-focused. And if we are neshama-focused, if we become neshama-conscious, then we, by definition, will look at ourselves and our peers and our potential um, you know, partners to, to argument and to divisiveness, look at each of them differently. Because when I look at you, you're not absolutely distinct from me. Your body may be, you're in a different space physically, but we share an eshamal linkage. Our souls are all rooted in a common source up in heaven. What separates is actually far more shallow than what unites. You may root for the wrong team or vote for the wrong party or, or, or support a cause that I'm very frustrated about. But again, in most instances, the degree of your evil is probably not something that mandates my being involved in challenging you and fighting you. And if that's the case, instead of looking at what divides and those small things, let's even say it's something that impacts me somehow emotionally or socially or financially. And it does frustrate me. But it's probably just frustrating my here and now. My current physical existence and material existence is it re- if it's not damaging on the neshama level, if what you're doing is not having implications on the spiritual level, then that which I share with you in terms of our neshama linkage should be far more significant to me than those elements that divide. But if we can become oriented this way, to look at each other by the fact that we share the neshama and the other elements that divide us are really so, so temporary and so, so fleeting compared to what we do share. We can really eliminate a lot of the tension and frustration over those other shallow elements. I was actually working recently on some issues related to um, Holocaust history for some other classes. And when reading of the encounters of some people who had come from Jews of such different walks of life, culturally and socioeconomically, and every aspect of their living was so different. But when they were together in a Nazi concentration camp barracks, how the areas that united them, the fact that they had the shared ability to focus on the same God, using the same line Shema Yisrael, and mustering up a certain sense of energy and focus to try to think of how in some way they could acknowledge the upcoming day of Rosh Hashanah. Those shared elements became so much more powerful in uniting them than the fact that some had come from Greece and some come from Eastern Europe and some spoke as their primary language Yiddish and some had never heard a word of Yiddish uh, days before and the fact that their food that they had grown up with was culture was different, and their style of garb had been different, and what they aspired to do in their lives had been different, and how they interfaced with their society, everything about their physical life had been different, but the spiritual matters united them, and they could relate to each other as you're another person created an image of God who's suffering along with me, and what can I do for you, and what can you do for me, uh, and linked with each other in very powerful ways. The Nishama dominance, uh, the ability to focus on that can help us learn to minimize the distinctions we have and therefore avoid the fight. And should we already be in a situation that there's a certain discord and you know the big issues that may be dividing the world may be out of our reach, but how about the issues that are dividing our community or dividing my block or dividing something within my family or creating a tension at the office, if we can learn to be able to kind of strip away all of the smallness and focus on the big, big deal about the neshama linkage, maybe we can help uh, resolve some of those barriers, some of those tensions. So thinking about Korach and the tragedy of the bald space he's creating, creating that sense of a lack of vitality by creating the fight which robs us of our energy and saps us of our strength and understanding that Torah is telling us don't do that. Don't pull out that sense of vitality even over the death. Don't do that because there is so much more hope and so much more powerful future when you just think of Neshama. Doing so can hopefully help us Accomplish what the Torah is preaching when it says, let there not be like another Korach. Eliminating those fights, preserving the peace between all of ourselves, and allowing each of us and all of us together to better achieve our Tachlis.